Welcome to Israel from the Inside, where we try to break out of the echo chamber, surfacing the wide array of often conflicting viewpoints that make up the mosaic of Israeli life. I'm Daniel Gordas of Shalem College in Jerusalem. Go to danielgordas.substack.com where you can subscribe to these podcasts and join our community of listeners and readers, access the archive of all these episodes, and post comments, interacting with others who share your interest in Zionism, Israel, and the future of the Jewish state. I have the pleasure today of sitting with the author of a new book called Judaism 3.0, Judaism's Transformation to Zionism. The author is Gal Kalev, who is actually also in Jerusalem as we are speaking. So first of all, Gal, thank you very much right on the heels of the appearance of your book for making time to to chat with us today about the book. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. And um, first of all, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your, your, your very interesting background, professionally and so forth, and what got you to write this book, and then we'll take it from there. Okay, I'm uh, from Israel. I was uh, born and raised in Tel Aviv. I'm a third-generation Tel Avivian. Uh, I served in the Israeli military, and after the army, I went to study in the States. I did my MBA, uh, and thought I'll live in New York for a few years uh, to get some experience on Wall Street. I was an investment banker. Uh, doing uh, uh, mergers and acquisitions and capital raisings uh, for financial institutions in the United States and in Europe and really around the world. Um, and I thought I'll say live in New York for a few years and a year or two, and then a year or two uh, continue to uh, a little bit more than that. Uh, and after 17 years or so, I came back to Israel. Uh, and when I came back, um, somebody um, enlightened me that there's a city uh, called Jerusalem. Uh, and uh, when you're from Tel Aviv, you're uh, subject to uh, a lot of um, antagonism that exists against Jerusalem. Uh, and uh, so I decided to uh, check out Jerusalem and uh, um, took an Airbnb and eventually uh, fell in love with Jerusalem and I live full time in Jerusalem. It's really a fascinating story that you mentioned about Tel Aviv and Jerusalem. I think people who are listening abroad Many of whom who come to Israel, the first thing they do is go to Jerusalem. And the idea of coming to Israel for a week or 10 days and not going to Jerusalem is entirely unthinkable. Uh, so people have no idea that there are literally Tel Avivians who, and lots of them, who never, ever come to Jerusalem. Yep. And who many of whom actually have no desire or even willingness to come to Jerusalem. They just see it as a kind of a different country. Tel Aviv is the sophisticated, secular, European country on the Mediterranean. And Jerusalem is kind of the religious backwater or whatever, even though obviously there's universities here and all of that. It's a subject for a different conversation altogether. Um, but it is a really important issue, this relationship between Tel Avivians and Jerusalem. And Jerusalemites, of course, refer to Medinat Tel Aviv, right? right? right. The, state, the state of Tel Aviv, because it's so completely different from Jerusalem. But it's another conversation. Tell us how you came to write the book, and um, what's the thesis of the book? What's the claim of Judaism 3.0? So I came to write the book just by, as I mentioned, like living in New York and spending time in Europe and talking to all kinds of people. I realized that, um, you know, first of all, people wanted to talk to me more about Israel uh, and those issues than they wanted to talk to me about uh, mergers and acquisitions or uh, J.P. Morgan's capabilities or anything like that. 
But um, uh, also I got to understand how people relate to Judaism. It wasn't sort of you know, going out and doing research. It was more organic. And I quickly uh, re- recognized that uh, people, Jews and non-Jews alike, whether uh, in New York, whether in Europe, whether around the world, relate to Judaism through Zionism and through Israel. Uh, and that sort of was the impetus. Uh, in parallel, I began studying uh, Theodor Herzl, who's the visionary of Zionism. Uh, and I spent uh, maybe the last 15 years or so reading his diaries, reading his letters, um, uh, even going to places where he wrote them so I can understand the context in which he writes certain things uh, and recognize that that's what he was doing. He was planting the seeds for a transformation of Judaism and that Zionism is just not migration of the Jews back into you know, the, 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 the land of Israel, just like uh, Moses a few millennials before uh, Herzl, uh, his uh, endeavor was not just a migration of the Hebrews from Egypt to Canaan. It was a transformative event. Uh, so uh, that's how I um, sort of like think fell into that about 15 years ago. Uh, I've um, been writing uh, position papers uh, uh, in the America-Israel Friendship League think tank that was sort of like a uh, lead up to the books and through them interacted with people uh, like you and others who um, uh, you know, pushed back and, uh, and helped me fine-tune the ideas. Uh, but basically, the, 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 you know, I came up with where I came up in, in sort of like all those through this process is that uh, Judaism is transforming and Zionism, the national aspect of the Jewish nation religion, is becoming its anchor. That is the primary conduit through which people relate to Judaism, whether you're Jewish, whether you're religious Jew, whether you're um, uh, conservative, uh, secular, pro-Israel, against Israel. Um, I like to say that some of my uh, friends in New York, uh, who are very critical of Israel, uh, you know, they, they don't, um, they don't, uh, uh, they're not religious. They don't go to synagogue. They don't uh, eat filter fish, and they don't uh, think about the Holocaust anymore because you know it was more relevant when the generate the survivor generations were alive. Uh, but they come to their Judaism when they read something in the New York Times and get very, very upset about Israel, about the settlements or about, you know, our operations in Gaza. And some of them write posts on Facebook, as a Jew, I'm embarrassed about Israel or something along those lines. So that's an example of people that come into their Judaism to the negative aspect, you know, for their point of view of Zionism. But either way, whether it's negative or positive, whether it's Israeli wine or criticism of Israel, whether it's watching Fauda or, or Stissel on Netflix, uh, or whatever it is, uh, you know, I'm showing in the book how how there is a transformation of the of, of the global consciousness of what Judaism is, and it's basically coming down to Zionism and Israel. That's fascinating. It's a fascinating claim, right? That not that Zionism is one facet of Judaism, but that Judaism has become Zionism, for better or for worse. Yeah, uh, Judaism has become Zionism. We'll talk a little bit in a, in a couple of minutes about. A lot of Jews were very committed Jews who don't consider themselves Zionists or who would say, yeah, I'm a Zionist, but it's by no means the major segment of the pie of my Jewishness. We'll come back to that. But just to give our listeners a little bit of background, you point out quite correctly, of course, this is not the first time in the history of the Jewish people over the last 4,000 years that Judaism has completely reinvented itself. And you talk a little bit about the transformation from biblical Judaism, for example, to rabbinic Judaism as a complete reinvention and a complete reimagination of what Judaism was. I think that a lot of historians would agree with you. Um, Say just a few sentences about that for people that don't know a lot about this. What was that transformation? What was Judaism before? Why did the transformation happen? And what were we left with after 
biblical Judaism yeah. faded away and rabbinic Judaism entered the picture. Yes. Yeah, so until 2000 years ago, until the first century, Judaism was anchored in the physical presence of the Jewish people in Judea. Not everybody lived in Judea, but it was clearly the center. Uh, the temple, which uh, was the place where people worshipped, and even if you didn't worship in the temple, that was sort of your point of orientation to Judaism. And the ritual of sacrifices, which were performed in the temples, which was the way to connect, you know, to worship, to connect uh, to your religion. Uh, so the, the, and the centrality of Jerusalem, uh, Three times a year, we're told that the Jews came to Jerusalem to worship, and and I'm sure it, it you know it, it happened more than that. So whether this is supported both by the biblical narrative and through archaeology and through whatever uh, you know um, little history, historical accounts we have, um, so Judaism was anchored in what I call Judaism 1.0 here in uh, the temple, the ritual, the sacrifices, the physical presence of Judea, and in Jerusalem. All of that was gone once the Romans expelled, destroyed the temples, so therefore there's no more sacrifices, expelled the Jews first from Jerusalem and then from Judea. So all the, the, the anchor of Judaism was, was demolished, uh, and Judaism had to transform in order to survive, and it did, into what uh, I call here Judaism 2.0. And that had two uh, real anchors. One is the internal glue of religiosity, uh, what, what's known as rabbinic Judaism. So the synagogues that we know today replaced the temple. The uh, structured prayers, the Jews' prayer uh, three times a day if you're a religious Jew, replaced the ritual of the sacrifices. The insular communities replaced the physical presence in Judea, and the yearning to Zion, the yearning to go back, replaced the physical presence in Jerusalem. Uh, So that was the the internal glue that held Jews uh, for 2,000 years. Uh, but they also had an external glue, which is complete insularity. Jews had absolutely no options to leave Judaism. They, you couldn't say as you do today, you know what, I'm, you know, I'm going to marry an Jew, or I'm just going to convert out, or I'm going to just forget that I'm Jewish and live my regular life. That wasn't an option. So, so the Jewish nation religion, and the Jews always been perceived until recently as a nation religion, and always felt to be part of a nation religion, they had the internal glue of religiosity, an external one of insularity. Both of them are gone. Just like 2,000 years, the glue of the temple and the physical presence of Judea was gone and Judaism needed to transform. Today, the internal glue of religiosity is, is, is eroded. You know, it's not completely gone. But if 200 years ago, about 100% of the Jews were religious to one extent or another, were religiously observant, uh, and 100 years ago, I don't know, maybe 90% or something like that, the, the, you know, people can debate the statistics, but it's the overwhelming people of Jews were religiously observant. Today, it's like 15, 10, 15%, depending how you count it. So the religious aspect is no longer sufficient to hold Jews together uh, as the internal glue. And the, insul- the insularity that protected Judaism from the outside is gone. Jews are free to leave. They can do whatever they want. They can, they can convert. They can marry whoever they want. And they can just like, say, I don't want to even want to think about it, or it's not in my consciousness. It's not in my priorities. So Judaism 2.0 lasted and was the effective glue in, you know, in those years in the diaspora where, where you know, the religious aspect and the insularity kept the Jewish nation religion alive. Now, as, when those glues are, are eroded, we have a dramatic increase in the national aspect of Judaism because the Jewish state was reestablished. And so, but, but transformations of this magnitude don't take, you know, don't take place overnight. So I'm showing in the book how for the first 70 years of Israel's existence, 
the, we were still in Judaism 2.0. It wasn't, Israel was not the, the center of Judaism and Zionism, as you said in your introduction, like many people perceived it as, okay, just one feature of Judaism. But hurdles that existed, you know, including trends in Israel, such as Zionism's early association with extreme secularism and rejection of religion, that's, that has changed. That has changed as Israel democratized and there's a shift of power and Zionist ethics from the secular minority to the religious and traditional majority. Uh, and there is a change of also in ethics amongst the seculars. You know, my sort of my kind of background of writing Ron Ramat Aviv, which is the, the sort of like the secular Mecca of Israel. Uh, you know, the, there's, a, there's a shift from re- rejection of religiosity to um, uh, consuming religious experience a la carte, staying secular, but there's sort of like a Jewish religious fashion amongst the secular. So that's just one example. There's others, there used to be the rejection of the Haredis, the ultra-Orthodox. Uh, now that's, that's more or less gone, and we can talk about it. I talk about it in the book. And other hurdles that existed that prevented Zionism from becoming the organizing principle of, Ju- of Judaism in the first 70 years. So those hurdles are, are, are gone. And on the other hand, the, 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 the uh, uh, glues that existed in, 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 the, the, in diaspora Judaism, mostly in America, where 80% of Jews live, uh, those have eroded. So if, you know, in Israel's first 70 years, you can say, well, not only that Zionism cannot be the organizing principle of Judaism because it's associated with, with secularism, it's, you know, it has all those issues. Uh, you would, you'd also say, well, but Judaism, Judaism is doing well in America. You know, people go to, uh, you know, uh, a cat's deli and, uh, and, they, and they, maybe they're religious and maybe they talk Yiddish and Jackie Mason and, and Seinfeld and John Sturt. And you have some sort of a, of a neo, you know, Yiddish, uh, you know, culture that, that, uh, that, that still prevails in America until the 20, 2020 maybe or so. Uh, but now, you know, there's a reality in, in America that uh, Jews have disaffiliated. I mean, there are um, roughly 10 to 20 percent of Jews that are engaged, whether they're Orthodox and they're engaged with the religiosity or whether they're active in Jewish causes. You know, they can be the, the uh, president of a temple or, 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 you know, part of a Jewish organization. But for the majority of American Jews, uh, 80 to 90 percent, Judaism is important, but it's low on the hierarchy of identities. You know, it's also important for you to be, you know, uh, a Cornell alumni and, and a member of, 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 of I don't know, this club or another club or your sexual orientation or your gender or, or whatever it is. You have a lot of identities and Judaism is there, but not sufficient to hold, you know, to hold as a distinct, you know, entity. So we're having this dual process like now in the 2020s really of um, uh, of on the one hand the hurdles uh, mostly in Israel that existed that prevented Zionism from becoming the anchor of Judaism at Israel's establishment are removed and on the other hand whatever sufficient glues that there remain of Judaism 2.0 are being eroded so therefore uh, you know, I'm showing that, that Zionism is becoming the anchor of Judaism and, and on top of that it's also becoming a lightning rod that pulls the Jews back into their Judaism to the negative. As, as I mentioned, those who put a Facebook post, as a Jew, you know, I'm embarrassed about Israel, they don't put, as a Jew, this week's Torah portion is so-and-so, or as a Jew, today I had a pastrami sandwich, or as a Jew, tikkun olam, or as a Jew, anything. It's as a Jew, Israel. So, so I'm showing how, whether it's in the positive or in the negative, this is what connects you to Judaism. This is, what, this is how the outside people look at you as a Jew, and this is how you as a Jew, look at you, connect to your Judaism through Zionism. Okay, so um, 
There was Judaism 1.0, Biblical Judaism 2.0, Rabbinic, a major transformation 2,000 years ago. Now we're saying another transformation in the early part of the 21st century to Judaism 3.0. And again, the subtitle of your book is Judaism's Transformation to Zionism, not Zionism becoming a facet or one representation of Judaism, but Judaism becomes Zionist. Now, for you and me, uh, we live in Israel, and therefore our lives are obviously intimately integrated with Israeli life, whether it's speaking Hebrew, whether it's being affected by, eh, we're just Israeli. So obviously Israel and Zionism therefore consume our lives on a day-to-day basis. But let's go to where the other 55% of the world's Jews live, which is all across the world. And um, I want to try to understand in your in your reading of it, um, what's the substance of Jewish life? In other words, in the temple period, you're right. If you lived in the Galilee, you actually probably didn't get to the temple all that often, but you did get there periodically. You were supposed to at yeah, least three times yeah. a year to make a pilgrimage. And the evidence seems to be that a lot of people really did that. So you had, there were things that you did. And certainly because of the rules of the Torah, there were things that you ate and things that you didn't eat. And there was Shabbat and there were holidays. It was different than it became in rabbinic Judaism, but you had all of that then. With rabbinic Judaism, as you point out very clearly in the book, there's this kind of explosion of halacha which yes. becomes kind of the roadmap for almost everything that you do in life, what yeah. you eat, what you wear, how you sleep, how you get dressed, uh, everything, you know, just almost everything in life. And I would say, though, that the the, the people who, you know, to use your nomenclature, uh, reinvented Judaism 2,000 years ago and created rabbinic Judaism instead of biblical Judaism, I would think said to themselves, look, it's not going to work It's not going to work to try to just maintain Judaism 1.0 because, as you point out, the temple's destroyed. There's no sacrificial cult. We've been banished from Jerusalem, etc. We've got to reinvent something that's transportable. Now, ironically, we're doing the opposite, it would seem. We're untransportabling it a little bit. I know that's not English, but we'll use it for the second. right? And we're putting it back in Israel. So now let's take somebody that lives in Cleveland or Melbourne or Toronto or Cape Town or any of those countries, um, and you're saying, okay, if you're religious, that's very nice, but that's not really the anchor of this new Judaism 3.0. The anchor of Judaism 3.0 is Israel and Zionism. Okay, so I live in Cape Town, or I live in Cleveland. Um, And now, Daniel Gordas, it's me now, asking myself, okay, so like, what's the substance of Jewish life? It's not about perpetuating whatever revelation there was in the Torah, which... um, some people believe in and some people don't, but we'll just leave that as it is right now. But that was shared, at least, by Judaism 1.0 and Judaism 2.0. Both of those groups believed that God had said something to the Jewish people, and the Jewish people's job in the world was to kind of perpetuate whatever it was that God had said and to live it out. That's not really a fundamental principle of Judaism 3.0, even though some Zionists obviously very much believe that. So I'm in Cleveland. And uh, Gal Kalev says to me, okay, now, you know, you can do whatever you want religiously, and you may be more, you may be less, but the anchor of this new Judaism that's emerging is Israel and Zionism. So I say to myself, okay, but I live in Cleveland. What am I actually supposed to actually do? I'm not moving to Israel. There's a lot of reasons I'm not moving to Israel. I have a business. I have elderly parents or grandparents. I don't speak Hebrew. I don't want to move, whatever. I'm not moving. So now the book says, well, there's lots of things that you can do. You can follow Israeli news to be sure. You can drink Israeli wines. You can read Israeli literature. Um, You can, you know, there's lots of stuff to be consumed on, you know, on all kinds of streaming services, whether it's Shtisel or 
Tehran, which is still, you know, being released now on Netflix right now, or whether it's, you know, Fauda or Betipul, what's that in, in, in treatment, right? Um, in any event, so I could do all of that. I can defend Israel in the, pu- in the public sphere. I can be critical of Israel in the public sphere. That's all well and good. But the question that I want to ask you is, first of all, is that enough glue to tie people to Jewishness? And the second thing is, what's the purpose of the Jewish state? In other words, Herzl would have said, and you know this better than I because you've studied him you know, for thousands and thousands of hours, but Herzl would have said the purpose of the Jewish state is not a state for itself. The purpose of the Jewish state is to create a place where the Jews can be Jews without having to wonder whether they have to accommodate themselves to the larger culture or assimilation or anti-Semitism. In other words, Israel is going to free the Jewish people to be Jews. Now the question is, now that we're free in Israel to be Jews, what's the substance of this Jewishness as you understand it? What is What are the Jews in the business of? State-making alone? I mean, the French are in the business of making a state, and the Italians are in state-making, and the Spanish are in state-making, and the United States is still, so far at least, in the business of state-making. So what's this all about now, this Judaism? What's its core? What's its message? What's its purpose? Right, so first of all, if you're that... Jew in Cleveland, I'm not saying top down, you should be, you know, center your Jewish identity around Zionism. I'm saying that's the reality. That is what you are. And I, you know, obviously had a lot of conversation with Jews in Cleveland too, but in other places like that. And some of them initially pushed back and says, well, you know, I don't, you know, I, I don't like Israel. I don't like this, but then, you know, you, you, your, your day to day, or if you, if you map up map out all the interaction you had with Judaism, let's say over the last month, you would quickly find out that most of them had to do with Israel. And I've done this exercise with a number of people, whether it's the stuff you outlined, such as watching Netflix series, drinking Israeli wine, complaining about Israel, criticizing Israel, writing op-eds against Israel. That's also an indication of, of your connection through Zionism. And no, I get that. I get that. And I, I totally understand that. And I agree with you. I think that your read of the reality is 100% correct. correct. And I actually have said to people in different contexts, if you were to say to people who have gathered around either a Shabbat table or a Passover Seder table or, uh, you know, whatever, even Thanksgiving, if it's a Jewish family, and you were to say to them, okay, now have a Jewish conversation for the next half hour, but you cannot mention Israel or anything about Israel. A lot of them would be very stumped. I mean, I think a lot of people would say, well, I'm not really quite sure what to actually talk about. And that's just proof of your thesis that that, in other words, whether it's prescriptive, descriptively, it's, I think, 100% correct. But what I want to try to push on here is then, you know, as you've, you've been thinking about this a lot, I mean, I'm holding a very big book in my hand, a very impressive big book in my hand. So... What's the purpose of this, though? In other words, yes, the, the reality is that people are expressing this thing through Israel, positive, negative, love, hate, up, down, whatever. But what is Judaism then about? What's its purpose? What, why shouldn't it just disappear? Well, Judaism is, is about the same thing that it was always been, but it, but it funnels itself through Zionism. So, yes, Judaism is still about religiosity, but you, like many people in Israel, connect to their religious aspect through Zionism. Judaism is about tikkun olam. Tikkun olam is a, is a value that many Americans, especially in the reform movement, champion as their primary uh, connection through Judaism. But most Jews in Cleveland and elsewhere don't practice tikkun olam wearing a Jewish hat. Most Jews, when I lived in New York and my friends, when they uh, 
volunteer in a homeless shelter or where they serve the environment or whatever aspect of Tikkun Olam they engage in, they do it in a community-wide organization. But through Israel, you have an opportunity to be part of the Tikkun Olam nation, to be part of a collective vehicle to engage in Tikkun Olam, uh, given what, everything that Israel is doing, uh, both official Israel, you know, sending uh, you know, delegations and helping uh, uh, places when there's disasters and things like that, but also like in the de facto bottom-up, you know, Israeli technology saves lives around the world. We, we turn you know, air into water and help you know, famine in Africa and medical innovations and all that kind of stuff. So, um, so being Jewish, I think being part of the Jewish nation uh, is, is a great, you know, it generates pride and generates uh, belongingness, uh, helps improve humanity through the, your affiliation with the Jewish state. Now, because you have this affiliation, it is completely your prerogative, maybe even your duty if you choose to, to do it this way, to see it this way, to be a partner in its endeavor, to be critical of, of certain aspects of what it's doing, critical from the left or from the right. You can say you're not building enough settlements, you're leaving the land abandoned, or you can say you're building too many settlements, but you can be a partner. Israel provides the engagement. And, and, the, and, um, and, and so I think that for, you know, in reality, when, when you know, we, we live in a time that you can't tell people what to do. I mean, we've seen that through other aspects. You know, we've seen that in the U.S. two years ago. And we, you can't tell people what to do. And uh, also the, the corona uh, crisis was, was, a, was a, an example of that. So we don't have the rabbis or anybody that says this is what Judaism. So we have to come to people and people, you know, should choose what they want to do, you know, based on their personal preferences. And in the supermarket of Jewish connections, uh, the the all the, the Judaism 2.0 connectors are based on customer loyalties. Are based on questions like you ask. You know what is Judaism and how you know you you know for two thousand years, three thousand years we've suffered and now we so says so, okay yeah right you know yeah I should go to synagogue oh, yeah right I should you know you know I, I should please my grandmother or my late great grandmother and 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 but the so that the 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 Judaism 3.0 connections in the Jewish supermarket the Israel related as you as you described are something that you choose. So, so, so the, the meaning of Judaism or the essence of Judaism uh, is, is, is expressed through Zionism. And Zionism, as Herzl structured it and defined it, is an infinite ideal. So it's an ideal that constantly evolves and it's an ideal that is abstract enough that allows you as an individual, as, you know, Johnny from Cleveland, to... Um, uh, uh, make Judaism through Zionism relevant, not just make it relevant, but allow you to express, you know, your whatever it is that you want to do tikkun olam, your religiosity, your your um, uh, communal aspect through the vehicle of Zionism. Okay, now what would you say to someone who um, says that's well and good, and Zionism is actually the most potent? platform. It's the most center stage of the Jewish people at this point. And anything that's going to define the future of Jewish life is going to unfold in Israel. Or if not anything, then certainly the center stage spotlight of the Jewish people's future is right now at least being written being written in Israel. I think that's a fairly defensible claim, at least at the beginning. Important to remember, as you pointed out at the beginning, in Israel's early years, the notion that Israel was the center of the Jewish world, even though Ben-Gurion said that it was, was ludicrous. I mean, there were yeah. more Jews in New York City than there were in all of the state of Israel. Yeah. But there are now more Jews in Israel than there are in all of the United States. 
And uh, by 2048, when Israel is 100 years old, most demographers predict that two-thirds of all the world's Jews are going to live in Israel, that the other one-third will be split mostly in the United States, obviously, but Europe, South Africa, Australia, you know, South America, some, et cetera, et cetera. So the point that this is becoming the center stage, this being Israel, where you and I are both sitting, that I think is completely correct. What would you say to someone who would say, yeah, but I still need to know what's the play that's being acted out on the center stage? In other words, you say it's tikkun olam. So first of all, I could say, you know what, there's a lot of Christians who also want to improve the world. And there's a lot of Muslims and Buddhists and God only knows what else, and a lot of atheists who also want to improve the world. So Jews, thankfully, don't really have a monopoly on tikkun olam. If tikkun olam is improving the world, there's a hell of a lot of people out there who want to improve the world, and we don't really need the Jews to do that. Um, And if I want to have a specifically Jewish way of improving the world, I want to have a specifically Jewish vision for what what Herzl called an infinite ideal uh, or what I think the world should look like, that can't come just from Zionism. Zionism's the stage but then it's got to come from an engagement with 2,000 years of the Jewish bookshelf, yeah. right? I mean, there are thousands of volumes that define it. And by the way, look at Israel. You're, you know, you're pointing about the, the changes in Israel also. There was this phrase way back when, which you know very well, which was that the early secular kibbutzim had this phrase from the Tanakh to the Palmach, from the Bible to the strike force of the Haganah in the early part of the 20th century, which was to say, if it was a Jewish thing that was written after the Bible, or be- and before the Palmach, we have no interest. It was just not there. So you would go to a even a very well-established kibbutz in the 1950s, 1960s with a huge library, a secular kibbutz. You would not find anything by Maimonides, and you would not find a Babylonian Talmud, and you would not find Rashi. Uh, that was it. It was either Bible or the renewal of Zionism, basically Judaism 1.0 or Judaism 3.0. Judaism 2.0 had been excised because that was the the weak Jew, the diaspora Jew, the fearful Jew, the accommodating Jew, etc. We want nothing to do with that. Is it possible, though, that we need rabbinic, we need Judaism 2.0 and Judaism 3.0? In other words, that you need Judaism 3.0 as the stage on which the play is going to be acted out, but that Judaism 2.0, with 2,000 years of Jewish thinking and Jewish works, actually defines what the content of that play is going to be, or do you think it's not necessary? No, rabbinic Judaism is intertwined with Zionism. The religion, there is no, I I spoke to a a very prominent Haredi rabbi who said there's no such thing as Zionism without without Judaism, referring to the, the religious part of Judaism, but there's no such thing as the Judaism without Zionism anymore. So I am not saying I'm not saying erase 2,000 years. On the contrary, those 2,000 years of heritage and history, the Talmud and, every, and, and the religious aspect flourishes under the new organizing principle of Judaism, which is Judaism 3.0. So I'm not saying that Zionism, I'm saying that the organizing principle of Judaism 2.0 was rabbinic Judaism, was the religious aspect of the Jewish national religion. There was still national you know, aspects, but that was the, the, the organizing principle. Now, the organizing principle of Judaism is the national aspect of the Jewish national religion, and that, which is Zionism, and that in turn strengthened the religious aspect of Judaism. That is the, the vehicle to, 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 to connect to our past as it is to, uh, you know, improve the world. And I think this was the same case. I wasn't there, but it was the same case 2,000 years ago. <laughs> so Judaism 2.0 saved Judaism 1.0 in a sense, because, you know, if you think about it, you know, part of yeah, Judaism 2.0 didn't say 
in a Jewish in a Jewish sense, uh, the, you know, the temple is not important, and the sacrifice is not important. On the contrary, I mean, we have we, a lot of our narrative in the, the Jewish religion is is about the temple and is about the sacrifices. And certainly, until we came back here, it was about the yearning to go back. If I forget you, Jerusalem, I forget my right hand. The Shana Yerushalayim next year in Jerusalem. So. So more more than that, then I think uh, you know if you're the average Jew from Cleveland or Beitar or wherever in the in Judaism 1.0, there was no Cleveland or uh, you know you may not know exactly the ritual of the sacrifices, but in Judaism 2.0, religious Jews have you know are studying the rituals of the sacrifices were performed in the past, you know in, in Judaism 1.0. So Judaism 2.0 when it was no longer the temple and biblical Judaism as the organizing principle of rabbinic Judaism, enhanced biblical Judaism. And Judaism 3.0 in Zionism is the uh, anchor and organizing principle of Judaism, enhances rabbinic Judaism. It, it makes the connection to Judaism more pure, more relevant. It makes Judaism more relevant, and therefore you more it's easier for you to connect to other aspects to Judaism, including the tradition and including the religious aspects. Okay, so I, wanna, we, I could talk about this with you all day long, uh, but you probably have much better things to do. But um, I want to ask you one question, hopefully that, you know, people will go ahead, read the book, talk about it more with you in lots of other settings. I want to ask you about heresy in the following sense. Don't worry, I'm not going to call you a heretic, God forbid. Because um, you and I actually see the world much more similarly than I think it might sound. I'm just trying to push to see where the, you know, where where the give is. Um in rabbinic Judaism, there was heresy. If you didn't believe that God revealed the Torah in the classic times, you were a heretic. If you said these laws about what to eat, what to wear, how to sleep, who I can marry, blah, 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 they don't apply to me, then you're a heretic. You're out. There were clear boundaries. And you pointed out, of course, that those boundaries no longer exist. Jews can live any way they want, etc. I want to know where there are boundaries in, Jew, in Judaism 3.0, meaning you said you can write op-eds, negative, critical, etc., etc. Too many settlements, not enough settlements. Too many political parties, not enough political parties, etc., etc., till the sun goes down. What if you are, as some people in America who are very profile are, high profile are, opposed to the idea of a Jewish state? You say, I used to be a Zionist, I used to be a left-wing, liberal-leaning Zionist, but I've actually given up. I don't think that a Jewish state can be a moral state because of the Palestinian population and all of that. And I am therefore, and you know as well as I do, I'm not making this up, there are real people like this out there. And therefore, I am officially opposed to the idea that there be a Jewish state. Is that a way of expressing one's Jewishness in Judaism 3.0, or is that in 2022 the new heresy. Yeah, well, it's, it's, I think there's a fine line. Um, uh, I think opposition to Judaism has always been funneled to the most relevant aspect of Judaism. And now it is funneled through Zionism. So we're, we're, we're defined a lot of time by the outside. And because the Jews are integrated, they're influenced by this outside. So now the opposition to Judaism, uh, you know, that is anti-Zionism, uh, has trickled into the Jewish world. Uh, also, we have to understand that many Jews throughout the centuries wanted to get out of Judaism, but they couldn't. They couldn't get out, except for a brief period at the end of the 19th century, at the beginning of the 20th century, in small section in, in Western Europe. But then they immediately got pulled into Judaism. So now for the first time in history, some Jews just want to say, you know what, I don't want Judaism. I want out. And Israel, as I'm suggesting in the book, 
pulls you into your Judaism, whether you like it or not. You can't get out. So I, you know, so if you say, I don't believe in the Jewish state or I don't believe in Judaism, the, I don't want to call it heresy, but the contra- self-contradictory exists when you says, oh, I want to stay in the Jewish club, but I don't want to stay, but I don't believe, but I'm not a Zionist. I don't believe in the Jewish state, whereas you pointed out two thirds of the population are going to live in within a few decades. So that is to me very similar to what might have happened in the transition from Judaism 1.0 to Judaism 2.0. I'm sure there were people, I mean, we know that there were people early on, but maybe there were people later on that said, you know, I, um, I love the Jews. You know, we're in the, let's say, 12th century, and I love the Jews who uh, uh, worship in the temple that hasn't existed for over a thousand years, who do the ritual of sacrifices, you know, who live in Judea, but I hate the Jews who are rabbinic Jews. I hate the Jews that wear a kippah, and I hate the Jews that, you know, celebrate Hanukkah, and I hate the Jews that celebrate all those holidays. That's, you can't say that because that's the most relevant aspect of Jews. And if you're a Jewish person and you says, well, you know, I believe in the temple, you know, Judaism 1.0, but, I, but I'm no longer a rabbinic Jew. I mean, that's, that's just comical. If you, you know, if you're in the 12th century and says, I don't, you know, no synagogues, no anything, like the, go back to the temple. I think it's the same thing that we're seeing today. But there was a group back then called the Karaites that says, I don't accept the transformation from Judaism 1.0 to Judaism 2.0. I don't accept it. And that's a legitimate, you know, view. I'm a, I'm a Karaite. And I think we will see today, we will see, um, you know, we are seeing that the people that you described is what I call in the book Neo-Karaites, meaning there is a transformation. And as I lay out in the book and as we spoke, I mean, it is evident, you know, both, you know, and, and it's not your choice as an individual Jew. That's how the world views you through the prism of Zionism. And that's how most Jews views. And that's probably how you view yourself, even though you're saying, you know, all those synagogues that get together and after a year of resolutions, pass a res- uh, de- deliberation, pass a resolution that this synagogue is anti-Zionist, that was the primary thing they engaged with over that year, <laughs> talking about Zionism. So, so you are, you're probably not a neo-Karaite, you probably are, you know, defined through Zionism, but let's say you, you really are, and you really, then, then you're neo-Karaites, and fine, you know, just like we had Karaites, um, you know, who are not, her- you, know, you know, you use the word heretics, I just, uh, prefer to use the word Karaites, who are, People that didn't accept back then the transformation from biblical Judaism to rabbinic Judaism, we have people who want to uh, accept this transformation, but there's, but there's a distinction. Because back then, the Karaites had a thousand years of, or more of rich Jewish tradition you know, to, to hold on to. The temple, they came out of this system that was very, very engaged. This was, these were engaged Jews that just chose not to be part of the transformation of Judaism. Today, those people who are neo-Karaites tend to be highly under-engaged Jews. I mean, there are some who are engaged out of this group, but for many of them, Judaism is low in the hierarchy of identities, and therefore the most likely path for those neo-Karaites is the continuing of the evaporation track that most of American Jewry is on anyway, meaning American Jewry, you know, I'm, I'm not... You know, we also have to put this magic solution in, in context. Judaism, for most American Jewry, Judaism is low under hierarchy of identities. It is not something that's that important for them. And therefore, they're on a track of a similar evaporation track that Italian Americans and Irish Americans are on. So some Irish American friends of mine said, I'm very Irish because, you know, how can you say Irish are evaporating because I, I celebrate St. Patrick's Day and I, and I drink Guinness. But, but so do I, you know, as, as a non-Irish. And, and when I do, uh, when I hosted the Rosh Hashanah dinners at my place in New York, most people that wanted to come were non-Jews. So Judaism is gradually becoming a brand in the in the overall, you know, American, you know, uh, 
array of brands to choose from. And American jewelry is, is on a path to evaporation. So the, the core of it, not all of it. This structure, Judaism 3.0, I think provides more meaning and, and relevance to Judaism and, per, and perhaps slows the evaporation, maybe even reverse the path of evaporation. Those neo-Karaites will probably continue the path towards evaporation out of Judaism. So in a sense, that conversation about that person that says Israel is, you know, I'm anti-Zionist, it's not, as re- it's not that relevant in a long-term point of view because those people are probably not going to be part of the Jewish nation in a few decades. Well, that is certainly a provocative way of beginning to conclude our conversation. Um, you're right. I, mean, I think you're actually right that it's they're going to be kind of footnotes to the Jewish story. And to whatever extent your argument is correct, which is that Judaism is becoming Zionism, um, then people that are opposing it are, I think the Karaites is actually a very interesting parallel. In other words, they, they were very passionate about what they believed in, but in the end of the day, they didn't shape Judaism anymore. They're not around, and you call it evaporation. It's fascinating. Uh, we have been talking to Gal Kalev, the author of a just recently reveal, uh, released book, Judaism 3.0, Judaism's Transformation to Zionism, a uh, brave claim that Judaism is now, Judaism is Zionism. That's what Judaism is. Um, I hope that the conversation has sparked your interest in his very, very provocative thesis. Hope that his provocative thesis might lead you to read the book. I certainly enjoyed it and found myself thinking about it a lot, which is why I wanted to speak to you. Um, thank you so much for making the time to be with us and good luck with the book. Thank you very much. Great speaking with you. You've been listening to Israel from the Inside. Go to danielgordas.substack.com where you can hear more of these episodes. If you have ideas for topics you'd like us to explore, We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, I'm Daniel Gordas. Yeah.